the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You know, in our gospel reading, Luke 12, sometimes Jesus can be a real downer. You know, this man comes to him with a very real predicament, real situation. I mean, this guy is like you and me. He probably has a mortgage, paying for kids in college. He needs to replace a water heater at his house. He drives a 15-year-old beater of a car. He's hoping to round out his 401k savings plan, and maybe he's even eyeing a new set of golf clubs. But he has a simple request. His brother won't share his inheritance with him. It's a matter of fairness, Jesus. Help me out. Rabbi, you are a teacher of the law. Help adjudicate this internal battle in my family. I'm looking out for my family. But in typical Jesus fashion, he answers in a way that's slanted. He comes at it a little bit from an angle, and instead of directly answering this man's question, he tells a parable, as he's prone to do. He tells a story. I mean, this man has a genuine concern about fairness. And Jesus seems to respond with, hey, God requires everything you've got. All of you. See, this man in the parable to us, to 21st century Americans, that man seems very responsible and prudent and wise. When he sees abundance happening in his midst, he, he's, isn't he right to build bigger storehouses for the grain? He has more that he's accumulated. He's, he's just doing the prudent and proper and wise thing by storing them. But perhaps it's hard for you and me to recognize this because of just the society we live in and because of the attitude of our hearts. I'm reminded of a, of a little illustration I heard once of fish swimming in the ocean and there's two young fish and an older fish swims by and says, how's the water today, boys? And he keeps on going. And the two fish look at each other and say, what the hell is water? You know, like, like what, what is this? The, the environment you and I swim in the world we live in, which is an upwardly mobile um, culture, makes it maybe difficult for us to see how Jesus is calling this man not wise and prudent, but rather a fool for storing up all of his things. He's not being rich towards God. On the other hand, he's, he's thinking only of himself, laying things up for his own leisure and his own pleasure. Jesus is pointing out the obvious dangers of greed and covetousness to us because he knows that all other ground is indeed sinking sand, as the hymn says. And so the irony of this is that this man in the parable, he's worked hard his whole life. He has reaped the things that he's sown and he's in increased his business. He's been blessed with, with much. So he's, pre he's prepared for all of his earthly needs, but he turns out to be the fool. Instead of fulfilling his moral responsibility to love God and his neighbor and care for those in need, he's rebuked and said for laying up treasure for himself, for only thinking of himself and his family and not being rich towards God. St. Augustine, the early church theologian, said of this passage, the bellies of the poor are safer storehouses. Where is your treasure today? Where is my treasure? Because there's this dangerous seduction, uh, seductive trap of wealth, of, of accumulation, of the fear of scarcity that we live in, that we fear we won't have enough. 
whether you have a large savings account or you're living hand to mouth, we all know the desire to have more, the desire to have more stability, more security, more certainty in our lives. And this man in the parable, he anticipated years ahead for leisure, for eat and drink, and for being merry. And yet eternal consequence comes to him immediately. God says, this very night, your soul is required of you. Judgment. Judgment for how you have used the resources you've been given. Your very life is required. Jesus says, life does not consist in the abundance of one's possessions. And as we read in the Psalm 49 earlier, even the wise die. The fool and the stupid alike must perish and leave their wealth to others. Came into this world naked and that's how you're leaving it. You might be sitting here going, whew, glad he's not thinking of me because I can think of some greasy people. You know, I know some people that have a lot and I'm not sure how generous they are. I'm glad he's not talking to me. Um, the truth is uh, we need to be able to see through the plank in our own eye, not being worried about the speck in someone else's. Because if you think today that you don't have a problem with money, you have a problem with money. If you think you don't have a problem with greed and covetousness, you have a problem with greed and covetousness. You know, in the Old Testament, the prophet Nathan was, was the right-hand man of King David. Great King David. And King David, he, he had taken another man's wife and had that man killed. Commits murder and adultery. He's not aware that, that he's done something wrong. And so Nathan, the prophet, tells him a story. He says, King David, there's this wealthy man who owns much land and he has many lambs and sheep. And he goes to his neighbor, who's a poor man, who only has one lamb. And he takes from him that one lamb. David becomes enraged with anger. That man needs to be punished. That's unjust. Unjust. How dare he? And Nathan has that famous line from the Bible. You are that man. You are that man. And this morning, Jesus is saying to you and to me, you are that man. You are that woman. We are the person in the parable. We are not innocent bystanders listening to Jesus chastise somebody else for being greedy. He's talking about the human condition, the human heart. This very night, his life is required of him. Why? Well, to whom much has been given, much is required. Because you are made in God's image, and I'm made in God's image. All of us are made in God's image, and we're supposed to reflect the image of God to others around the world. Our means and our, our possessions, our wealth, indeed our very vocation, it, it's, it's for, meant for connecting people around us to the larger story of God reconciling the world to himself through Christ. It's meant to point others to the reality that, that God is making his invisible kingdom more and more visible in our midst. He's bringing his kingdom through the person and work of Jesus Christ. So our Christian vocation, each of you has a vocation. If you're a student, it's to be a good student. If you're in the business world, it's to do business justly. If you're in law, it's to practice law justly. Whatever your vocation is, you are called, whether you're a butcher, baker, candlestick maker, it doesn't matter. We still have the original call God gave Abraham. I have blessed you in order that you might bless the families of the earth. You are blessed, not strictly for your own sake, for your own situation, but rather so that you can be an extension and a vehicle of justice and mercy 
to others that they might know the goodness and generosity and grace of our great king. Henry Nouwen wrote that much violence is based on the illusion that life is a property to be protected and defended, but not to be shared. Is your life something you're just seeking to protect, to cultivate for your own self? Or is it something that you're hoping to cultivate for the good of others around you? Fools all of us are for assuming our lives aren't called into account by the God who made us and gave us all that we have. I think we're much like children. If you've seen children playing together, that terrible four-letter word sometimes creeps out of their mouths. Mine. 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 Perhaps a, a darker picture is the creature Gollum in Lord of the Rings. You know, he's that heinous, distorted figure. He's, he's not even recognizable because he's turned so inward on himself and he's been so consumed by his love of this one object, the ring, and he calls it my precious. That's all of our hearts. We have disordered desire. We, we want the gifts that the giver get, gives to us, but we want it really so that we can have it for ourselves. And we want to live independently and self-dependently. We get turned in on ourselves, and that's what the Bible calls sin. Where your treasure is, there your heart is also, Jesus said. So sin twists things in us, doesn't it? It turns us only to our own concerns and our own perceived needs. But Jesus is bringing a kingdom that's inviting us. He's beckoning to us and he's calling us out. And he's calling the least and the last and the lost. He's bringing an upside down kingdom where those who have much are responsible for much. See, it's those who really know their need for saving that are in the last day saved. Those who, uh, and so Jesus, he's, he's undermining much of what happens in my heart, my own sense of my deservedness. I worked hard for this, or I wanted this, or this is about me. He's undermining that because the gospel, the good news of Jesus is calling us and beckoning to us to trust him, to trust him over and over and over again. And that includes in the area of our finances and the resources that we've been given. It's a call to trust. You know, it's like the man who's climbing on a steep mountain and he tumbles backwards and he falls and he slides down this precipice and he hangs on just as he's about to go over the cliff. And he's dangling, just holding on by a root of a tree right there. He's hanging there and he cries out, Oh God, God, if you're up there... Are you up there? Will you save me? And he hears the voice of God say, Yes, my beloved child, I'm here. Oh God, God, will you save me? Save me, please. He said, Yes, yes, I'll save you. The man says, God, God, please do it. Can you bring me up? God says, First, you have to let go of the root. The man ponders that for a second and then he says, Is there anyone else up there? feels preposterous to let go of something that you think is providing so much life. Letting go of the very thing you think is your lifeline. The thing that's providing security and stability for you. For hope for you. But the Bible brings to us a different picture. Some trust in chariots. Some trust in horses. Some trust in armies. Some trust in strength. Some trust in money. Some trust in a posture of power. 
But we, say the Hebrew canon, we trust in the Lord our God. Jesus says you cannot serve both God and money. You cannot have a divided heart. There's not anything in all of creation over which Christ does not say. And that's the things that are most dear to you and me. Belong to the Lord and their gifts from Him. And so that the blueprint that is given to us in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is one of death and resurrection. Something that we are all called to. It, because our self-addicted hearts, our inwardly focused uh, desires on what I want and my desires, it, re- it required a death. And it required a death of God's own Son, the thing that was most precious to God the Father. And He sent His own Son. St. Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians 8 9, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, for our sakes became poor, so that we through His poverty might become rich. He gave up everything in order to come and pursue the likes of you and me. God opened his hand most freely in order to rescue us from the very thing that we couldn't disentangle ourselves from, which is self-interest. What Jesus says famously, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world? Yeah, forfeits his very soul. Whoever would save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Robert Farrar Capon writes this about this situation, that all earthly goods will be lost. That's physical, intellectual, and spiritual when his life is required of him. So all the terrible stuff as well, the whole pile of unacknowledged failures, the ratty tissue of his irretrievable relationships, his second-rate loves, all of his achievements, his successful virtues, as well as his success-loving vices. He would, they would all someday go whistling into the ultimate no-win situation, the final redeeming unsuccess of death. It's waiting for all of us, isn't it? We came into this world naked, and that's exactly how we will return. But Jesus Christ is offering us hope, because it is in our lostness, in our lastness, in our littleness, in our leastness, and even in our death, that we are saved. We're not saved from a place of power, from a position of strength or security, no, nor in our declared self-dependence. Rather, in God rescuing us in Jesus. Because this brother's case that, brought, that he brought to Jesus, it was about patching up an injustice, a perceived injustice. But Jesus Christ... Jesus Christ, my friends, he is about bearing the ultimate injustice. Because he knows that life doesn't consist in IRAs, paid off mortgages, stable bank accounts. Our world, it might run on avarice. We're all unconstructed rich people at the bottom of it. Who clutch at our lives rather than open our hearts in generosity. But Jesus, in this story, depicts the fool as the paradigm for our whole plausible, reasonable, and wrong-headed struggle to be masters of an operation that is entirely out of control. Because our insistence on being captains of a ship that all our life long has been taking on water faster than we can bail it out has caught up to us. We need rescued. 
And so we who spend our whole lives in pursuit of security, financial stability, safety, we will come at the end only to our poverty of our impending death. But Jesus, but Jesus made his grave among the wicked and foolish in their moral depravity. And he made his grave among the rich man and all the death of his possessing in order to rescue us. Whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life will find it. Let him who has ears hear. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.